All right, welcome, church. No one melted this morning? All right, awesome. <laughs> All right, well, uh, welcome to Haven Church. Anybody's new, welcome uh, to our fine little establishment here. <laughs> so, and welcome online viewers. Uh, hopefully uh, Kate's watching. We have a new member of the church, Luke Henry. So yeah. that's awesome. 
One down, a couple to go. Right? (laughs) What you got, Jack? So basically, because people are having kids and because some of you got kids, guess what's coming up next week? What is it? Have a Father's Day, too, but Vacation Bible School is coming up the 20th through the 24th. And so um, uh, how many came last year? How many of our kids that are here or anybody else help with it and stuff? Did you guys have fun? It was a lot of fun. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show a video to show you a little bit about Vacation Bible School this year. If this is all you remember about the Bible story of Joseph, then it's time to head to Egypt. You are the one true God. There will never be another. You are the faithful God. All right, there we go. That's just a little bit. Um, Fred leaned over to me and said that first one definitely reminded me of Bible school when I was a kid. How many did that remind you of the felt? Right. There we go. So it's a, it's a lot different, and I understand you may be able to even walk like an Egyptian if you come. So you better be ready, um, and um, we're going to have a good time. All right? Sound good? All right, everybody up. We're going to start with a prayer today and just, um, just officially welcome the Holy Spirit here today. Lord God, we come to you today, and we thank you once again for um, just everything that you do Um, and that you've done in our lives and are continuing to do. As we are, we gather here today to worship you, God, we just pray that your your spirit will just move mightily, um, whether we're here in person or whether we're watching online, whatever it may be, God, we just thank you for who you are. And and just we pray for um, all the things that are going on, for everybody who's traveling as this... uh, this uh, season began uh, of, of travel and vacations, uh, particularly for um, the group of our graduates, those who have gone down to the beach and other places. Just be with them. And, and God, just uh, show us your Holy Spirit in a mighty way here today. And for that, we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.
is with us. God is on our side. He will make a way. Far above all we know, far above all we hope, He has done We're hoping today I had that hose as hot as it is out there, right? Well, we got another fountain, right? It's a fountain of the Holy Spirit. This springs up as a well. This dry and desert land, I tell myself, keep walking on. Something up ahead, water falling like a song. An everlasting stream, your river carries me home. Let it flow, let it flow. Yeah. my soul, a well that never will run dry. I've rambled on my own, never believing I would find an everlasting stream, your river carries me home, let 
God, we, again, we just thank you for bringing, you, uh, bringing us all here, and let us just enjoy uh, a time together with each other and mostly in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody says. Amen. All right. What I want you to do, um, I'm going to ask the Stephen ministers, we're going to have a special service. So children, stay here too, because I want you to see this. Um, but I also want you um, just to greet one another real quick, and then we're going to go ahead and have a Stephen ministers commissioning service. Because like the whole, like the whole, the verses, the, the way we played the verses kind of like changed. Yeah. Oh, wow, you guys can <laughs> This is a commissioning of a Stephen minister, and we'd like to welcome Jennifer, has completed 50 hours of training, 
and is now equipped to become a Stephen Minister for Haven Community Church. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. As the Lord Jesus has revealed his presence to you through faith, he asks you to share his personal experience of faith with those around you so that they too may celebrate the presence of Christ in our world today. Jennifer, are you prepared to serve as a Stephen minister at Haven? Are you prepared to nurture the skills you have learned and use them in the service of others to support, encourage, build up, and comfort people in all their needs. Now we ask you, members of Haven, to open your hearts to the ministry of these people and to pray for them that they may be effective servants of Christ. Are you prepared to meet this request? If so, answer yes with the help of God. We also ask you to accept their ministry when you need help to allow these individuals to work with you as you face struggles in your life that you might receive support and help from, from your Christian brothers and sisters. For you are prepared to meet this request. Please answer yes with the help of God. May the Lord Jesus, who has graciously called you his disciple, now strengthen you by his spirit for your ministry in and to the, his world. Because you have promised faithfully to serve the Lord Jesus and his people as Stephen minister, I commend you to the care and guidance of the Holy Spirit as you in turn care for others. Work hard. Use the skills you have learned, releasing the gifts and talents the Spirit of God has given you, so that you might be a blessing to the people you meet and care for. Continue to study. Reflect upon the situations you encounter. Pray for the people whose lives you are privileged to share. Be free to share your own personal frustrations and needs with others so that you might receive the same kind of care and love you offer others. Act boldly and without fear, for Christ is with you. And may the God of peace sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, we ask you to take our sisters, Debbie and Jennifer, and our brother Randy, into your care. You have blessed them with the particular gifts and talents that have provided them with the opportunity to learn more about helping people. May they serve you with the power of the Holy Spirit. May she and he be quick to serve patient, with patience and listening, willing to share themselves with people. Give to us thankful hearts for them and to show them in times of stress and satisfaction with the special measure of your mercy and joy. Keep them strong in the faith you have given her and Brandy. And for the sake of Jesus, who care for all of us in every way, amen.
before we um, send our kids out, just to give you, a, uh, how many of you ever heard of Stephen Ministry before? How many have heard of that? How many aren't quite sure what it is? All right, so there we go. We have a couple of those. Um, so, but they are here to help. They've gone, um, everybody who was up here has gone through the process of the training of 50 hours. And both Donna and Randy have gone for an extended week where they have gone and take, taken the classes to become Stephen Ministry trainers. So they've done a lot of stuff. And it's, um, it was put together by a, a guy who was a psych, um, psychologist, psychiatrist, and who, who wanted to give lay people the tools to help in ministry without going through all the college courses and other kinds of things, but to put together laity and also professional, um, professionalism, things that he learned. It's a great ministry for anybody who needs something. Some are short-term where they need to work through um, just some tr- change and transition. Others need some time to work through crisis in their lives, and that's what they're there for. They're an extension. Um, I'm one person, in case you don't know that. Um, I'm one person, so I can't be there for everybody and everything that they need. So this is one area that we believe at Haven that God has enabled us um, with training to help others. So if you're interested in that, contact me um, uh, or Donna or Randy, and we'll go ahead and make sure that you get connected to a Stephen minister, okay? Sometimes people go through surgery and just need that little bit of time for, for help. And, they, and they, now that they've gone through training, where's Jennifer? You want to do something, right? There you go, okay? So they want to help out. All right, at this time, let our, our children go to um, our Shoreline Sunday School Ministry. You guys can go ahead and head out. And we've got our, our prayers and announcements here as we, we come together. All right. How is everybody? Enjoying summer? Sunshine? It's nice. Okay. Uh, all right, so a couple different things that we um, want to look at here. Number one, as Wayne alluded to, welcome to our visitors. If we have visitors here, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're thrilled that you are here. For those who are maybe watching first time online, we're glad that you're part of our church as well. Um, for, and for those who watch regularly online, we're glad that you're, you're part of our worship today. So um, we have a number of things that we want to touch on. If you are here today and you um, did not receive a little card, we want you to have a card and to go ahead and um, to, uh, to get that card, fill it out, um, place it in, and we have a small gift for you. Thank you for being part of our worship today. Um, and if you're watching online, just drop us a note on our Facebook page or send something to info at havencc.org, and then we can go ahead and connect with you as well. Um, my church is different than it was 20 years ago, right? Uh, so we have all those kind of things. Um, a couple of things we mentioned. Uh, many of you were greeted with somebody with an uh, orange vest helping you get parked and everything out there. Others were greeted when you walked in the door. And they also are there as you, as you leave, just in case anything um, happens. Um, so they're there, and we just, um, they're looking for other people who would like to be involved in the host team. Uh, a couple of, so if you would like to, you can go ahead and connect with that. Middle school teachers um, are needed, so we just need a middle school teacher to work with our youth every other Sunday. Um, June 26th, there's a clipboard that's going to go around because we've been talking about how it's out here in the Bell Cafe, but let's face it, nobody goes and does what anybody, you know, goes out of the way anymore to do things, but we want to have an opportunity. Um, we have, we have our annual baptism Sunday where it's an official dunking. So how many of you have ever participated in our baptismal service? Just stand right where you are if you can, if you don't mind, um, where you are, Okay. I think you might even have the shirt on. Do you have the shirt on? Robin has the shirt that we give away. Um, so these are a number of the people who have gone through that. We have a handful of people that signed up this year, but we'd love for you to go ahead and sign up. All ages, I've been known to even go if you want a baby. I've done that. I know how to blow in their face, and they hold their breath. I've done it. It's okay. Don't worry. Um, 
because and I always announced that the parents wanted me to do that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it's a great way to go ahead and connect. And uh, matter of fact, I saw somebody the other week. I think it was Natalie put on there that it was three years ago or, or something like that. Three years ago that that happened. And so it's an awesome opportunity. We just leave right after church, head down there. Um, somebody that day may I, I think Ron, you were one of the ones who that day just said you didn't plan and said let's go for it, God. And um, Ron got in and had to make sure everything was emptied out of the pockets, but we'll do that too. I don't know where you throw away the clothes, but um, it's all good. But we, we, we want you to be able to have a, um, I'm getting in, so I'd love for you all to as well. If you want to be baptized for the first time, that's fine. Or if you want to reaffirm your baptism, that's also great. We mentioned about v- Vacation Bible School, um, Joseph's journey through Egypt from prison to palace. It's free, and you can see the times beginning the 20th of June to the 24th, um, from 6.30 to 8.30, and it'll be a great time. Our kids had a great time last year, and you saw a little bit about that today. Um, uh, any VBS donations, they're due today, um, and also you can register here or online, and that's part of it. Uh, the clipboard is also going around if you'd like to sign up for the baptism service. Um, men's group barbecue, everybody, all the men just perked up a little bit and barbecue when they heard that. We'll be at Keith Edwards' house, and there's the address. Um, after the baptism on the 26th. So you can get baptized, and then you can go eat. And what's better than that? So uh, Fred Lead has the contact information there. Baby bottle drive, last day, or Judy will hunt you down. Um, so um, how many do we have go out? Okay. It's going to end it at Father's Day. Okay, there we go. Okay. <laughs> so she got a lot of them in, so she's, she's conniving. Watch her out. She said she tried to trick everybody. Um, but um, on, the, on this next week, it has to be the end day. Uh, Paris Foundation is next week, and it is Father's Day. Anything? Need one more person if you're willing, um, willing to go ahead and sign up and connect there. That would be awesome as well. Please remember, one of the things that we want to do, remember everyone who's in prayer on our prayer request. And also, um, I know there's a group that's meeting early before church that wants to connect and pray for everything that's going on here. All right? Let me go to some of our prayer requests that we do have since we're talking about that. Um, for Nikki, um, for her mom, for hip surgery, that everything goes well, no complications, um, just healing and also healing for a shoulder, okay? So when is your surgery? Tomorrow, bright and early at 5 a.m. Okay. Also, so we want to also lift up prayers for John Lawrence, who's taken to the ER at 2 a.m. with um, CHF complications as well. And Ray is is from Jennifer Lagolo. Prayer, um, continue to pray for um, Ray's son, Ryan, as he heals from his operation as well. We also want to lift up Ree's family and the loss of um, a son and a brother um, very suddenly this week. So uh, a lot of people are, are dealing with loss. Also for those um, who are transitioning um, from life, lots of graduations. God blessed every graduation in this county with wonderful weather. And, um, and so um, we want to ask for prayers for them. Any other prayers that we have to lift up? Uh, yes, also Billy Ross. Uh, many of you may know Billy who has um, attended our church and also is involved with the uh, Monarch House, correct? Um, Billy was in a very bad accident this week on 272 and um, has a lot of brokenness, uh, hip and ribs and other kinds of things. Took the full force on, this, on the driver's side of the car. 
He is in Christiana, um, and so we just, he's going to have several surgeries and other kinds of things. So just be praying for Billy and his family as well in that healing process, okay? All right, let's go to God in prayer right now at this time. Lord God, we come to, uh, to you today, and we ask once again for your Holy Spirit to do a mighty thing. Um, we thank you that your Spirit is already here and very, very present. And now at this time, God, we just um, we want to lift up all those prayer requests that we have uh, that we put up today um, for, all, for all those facing surgeries, for those who are in accidents, for those dealing with loss, um, whatever struggles that we may be dealing with, for those who have graduated, and we know statistics say to keep them, if they're safe, usually a, a month before and a month after, that it tends to um, show a, a good long life. So God, we pray for them during this month after their graduation as they head into new facets of their lives. Um, for the ministries that you've given Haven Church to do here, God, for, for Paris Foundation um, and for Monarch House and all the many, many ministries that you call us to do. God, sometimes we feel so um, unworthy and, and not able to do all the things that you've called us to do. But you have called us to do it and you empower us to do that. And so, God, you have given us so many blessings as we stand here today. You've blessed us this week with incredible weather, uh, and we thank you for that. Um, none of us are happy. Back a couple months ago, we were saying it's too cold, and now it's too hot. Um, but God, I just thank you that, um, that you're a, a God who provides. And because you provide, God, help us to go ahead now and give in your tithe and our offerings. Scripture says you love a cheerful giver. And by us giving cheerfully, God, that you will take this and multiply it to further your kingdom, not only here, but around the entire world. And whatever ministry you call Haven to, it's your church, it's not mine, it's nobody else's. It's all about you, Jesus. And for that, we give you praise. And whether the giver is online or in present, God, send a blessing upon them as well. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Standing in my Savior's shadow, He is watching over me. I feel the rain, I hear the thunder as He cries for me. I'm standing in my Savior's shadow, grace will lead to where I'm free. I take his hand, we walk together, his light shines on me. Though the devil tried to break me, my sweet Jesus won't forsake me. When I'm in my Savior's shadow, where I'm supposed to be. I'm standing in my Savior's shadow, following His footsteps there. Every mountain, every ocean, here's my every prayer. Savior's shadow 
John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. And Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman asked him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to this well to draw water. And he told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, said the woman, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that it is the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. My man, all right with it. Yeah. Ah, good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. Hey, man, what's up? Oh, not much, man. You thinking lunch a little later? Oh, read my mind. Yes, that would be fantastic. I'm... No, 11.45 sounds good. We could do Chipotle or we could do pizza or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool. What's up, buddy? You all right? Yeah. Yeah. Awkward, right? How many have had some more? How many had anything awkward happen to you this week? Okay, a couple things awkward. All right, so you're alive, I guess. That's that's how what usually tends to happen. Welcome. I'm glad everybody's here. You're doing well. Everybody good? All right. Got too much sun. We're like kind of there. I got to tell you, last week, did you have fun last week? Those of you who were here. 
When I find, don't worry, I'll bring the hose back sometime. So, um, but, and and the, um, the, the, there's still some seeds up here, but the pots and seeds will be back next week as we, um, we kind of wrap up this series, and I'll add some more to that as we go in today. But I had so much fun last week because it's like one of those times you're like, where you really work with a, with a message, and it kind of has you during the week. And then when you get here, you're really excited to like, yeah, you know, really connect. And you guys were connecting, and, you know, it was like, it was like fun, wasn't it? Wasn't it fun? It, it, wow, isn't that crazy that we say church is fun? I love it. It's awesome. So um, I, I had a good time, and I hope you guys did too. Um, so we, we are in the middle of our three-week series called um, Be Awkward. And today we're going to talk about being real. And... Um, What's this series about? It's about getting over the awkward feeling and getting past awkward and uh, do what we Christians are supposed to do. You know, like when we share our faith and how that is awkward. So many times, like we, when we talk with others about, uh, about Christ, we come across a little bit awkward. Um, and one of the things is that we have several barriers that we end up with that that kind of make that feel a little bit more awkward as we look at. And we can get frightened about rejection and other types of things. But when we look about sharing our faith, there's a couple things that I want to I bring back. The other week I shared Haven's um, mission statement and vision. And what it says is the reason why Haven exists is for a, a number of reasons. To know God and membership in his family, to grow, to be like Jesus in maturity, to equip others um, equipped us to serve in the church and their life mission and to share Jesus in the larger world. So we said if we want to know what we stand for as a church, it's to know, grow, serve, and share. And ultimately, I had shared, this was during our, um, our last series, um, that our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And this has been the purpose of why I wanted to start Haven in the first place, why I believe God called me to, um, However, for this to happen, if we look in our world and our community, something has to change in life, okay? Something definitely has to change. And so, as we look here, there was a study that was done a few years ago, and even to this year, about uh, America's most Bible-minded cities, okay? America's most Bible-minded cities. In 2014... The top, anyone, you can see the top one. Can anybody see that? 2014 and 2016. In 2014 and 2016, the most Bible-minded city was what? Can you see it? Chattanooga, Tennessee. All right. Number two, Birmingham and Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And number three, makes sense. Why? Liberty University, Lynchburg. Okay, that makes a lot of sense when we look at that. So you'll be surprised that Northeast is not on this list. All right? But what I decided to do is to look at the two cities we are in between and to share with you some statistics about those. The two major cities that we are in between are Baltimore and Philadelphia. We're also between Washington and New York, but I figured we'd take Baltimore and Philadelphia to look. In 2014, 25%, we were, Baltimore was number 69 on the list, and 25% of the people felt that they were Bible-minded. That means a quarter of the population of Baltimore were ones that were receptive to the Scripture and tried to live their lives by it. That means 75%, I'm not very good at math, but I can figure that one out, has no focus on the Bible, is not trying to live by it, does not want to understand it, does not want to grow by that. In 
2016, that number dropped to 22%. Okay? So three more percentage of the population in Baltimore has gotten less biblically minded. If we look at Philadelphia, Philadelphia ranked the city of brotherly love, right? Ranked number 57 on the list and in, 19, uh, in uh, 2014, and um, 27% of them, and they too have dropped, before you start feeling good, if you're, Philly, you're, you're a Philly person, they've dropped three percentage points now to 24%. They are catching up with Philadelphia, all right? The lowest area in the United States, number 100, the least Bible-minded city in America in 2014 was Providence, Rhode Island. At only 9% are Bible-minded. And uh, the 99 was Albany and Schenectady, um, and 98 was Boston, Massachusetts, 97, San Francisco. That was in 2014. In 2016, Albany has now taken over, and Schenectady and Troy, New York, has now taken over the lead. Boston is now 99, with Providence, Rhode Island, now up to a whopping 12%. So what we see is there is an issue in our country and in our own area as we look into these things. I also did some other religious statistics and I found out those who were unclaimed religiously in 2010 were, um, which is the most, least um, one that we have, were 68%, almost 70% of our population right here in Cecil County are, we would say, are not uh, Bible-minded and not focused on that. And in, um, in 1990, now we may feel a little bit better, but in 1990 that was 67%. But we're still right around the same place. We're still right about around, around somewhere in the neighborhood from uh, 70, high 60s to 70% of our area could care less. I found something that I thought was very interesting. In 1980, anybody want to guess who the biggest denomination was in Cecil County? Nope. The Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist in 1980. 31% of our population in Cecil County were Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists are now 11.37% in Cecil County. United Methodists in 1980 um, were in the 15% and are somewhere in the 18 to 19%. And basically we see there's a, there's a larger increase. Guess what the, uh, the highest increase is? And actually, it's not an increase at all. In, in, uh, yeah, it's, it's about a, a level increase. The Catholics in 1980 were 27.24%, and now they're 29.98%. And many people attribute that to the influx of Hispanics into the population. What we're seeing is this great news of the gospel for us is showing that we're not connecting somewhere as a church. Am I right? That Maryland's population in the 1990 census was 4.78 million. In 2020, it is projected that we will rise to 6.339 million. And by 2030, 6.684 million in, the, in the, all of Maryland. In Cecil County, our 1990 census showed 71,347 in 2020, it is projected that it's going to reach 130, 
1,350, and by 2030, it'll be in the upwards of 155,000 people. If we continue these trends that we have, we're going to have more and more influx of people and less and less people connecting to God if we look at the trends, the historic trends. So how do we talk to 70% of our population who is turned off by church or religion? What are the principles that we can be real and not be awkward? And how can we do that properly? Um, Let me ask, how many of you have ever had an awkward discussion with a Christian? Raise your hand. Okay. How many... uh, And so that's one of the things that we we have. So what I want to do is I want to go to the Bible. And what we're going to do today, we're going to look over Jesus' shoulder. I love scripture, and I love when it comes to uh, accounts like this, because we can just kind of feel like we're there watching everything. You know what I mean? And so, and Stephen read this awesome uh, verse for us today. And if you have your Bibles, you can open to John chapter 4, whether it's uh, electronic or hard copy or whatever. um, Or I've placed most of these in your bulletin today. But we're going to be in John chapter 4 to start with. And the first thing that we have to do, the first principle that we can learn when we are sharing our faith with a non-Bible-minded or non-believing group of people or a person is we need to engage intentionally. We need to engage intentionally. What I mean by that, we've got to be ready to roll and be looking for opportunities to engage with others. Let's look at the scripture that Stephen read for us, the first seven verses, and we see now um, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more people than um, more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Stop. Don't you think that's really interesting? I find that really interesting. Jesus isn't baptizing anybody. It is the disciples that baptize. In most of our, in most of our churches, we're used to being that the clergy are the ones who have to do all the baptizing. But as I read the Great Commission, what does it say? Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, making disciples. So, so guess what? That's an opportunity you have. We get very churchy at times and say, oh, they're the, they have a master's divinity or they have the pastor to it. But what it says here is his disciples were doing the baptizing. Jesus wasn't. Um, so here we go. So he left Judah and went back um, once more to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. Stop. No, he didn't. Look at the person next to you and say, no, he didn't. You know why? Because he was a Jewish man and Jews hated. Everybody say hated. Everybody say despised. Despised and hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were people who were of Jewish descent that during the period of captivity, they intermarried with the people and became kind of a bastardized race of Judaism. They were incorporated into the chosen people, but threw it away. And so they were worse than Gentiles. They called them dogs. They, and, and dogs were not like, oh, come here, Fluffy. Still today in the Middle East, and I know even those who've served in the military and been overseas have said, you don't want to say, come here, doggy, because they're usually wild and they carry everything, and you don't want them. We're used to taking our pictures with them, sticking them in a little purse and all that kind of stuff. Um, but... That's not how dogs are viewed in this culture. And so he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. But he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob, from the Old Testament, had given his son Joseph. And uh, who are we talking about, Joseph? 
Vacation Bible School. If you don't know much about it, you're going to hear a lot about him in Vacation Bible School. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Then all of a sudden, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And I'll just add this verse. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So here you have Jesus. He's on this journey. He knows there's a well there. It has religious significance. He sits down. He's, he's tired. And he's thirsty. A woman comes to get water, and Jesus says, can you give me something to drink? All right? When we are intentional, Jesus was intentional. Jesus was always looking for people who, had, who were lost and who had struggled to find meaning and purpose in their lives. Has anybody ever come across anybody in your life that has struggled to find meaning and purpose? Anybody? There may be somebody sitting right next to you today who is struggling to find meaning and purpose. And whoever he came across, he engaged. Jesus meets this woman who was a complete outcast. Anybody know anybody who was a complete outcast? Anybody ever felt like a complete outcast? How do you know, Jack, that she was a complete outcast? Because she came to get water at what time? Noon. Now, when is it probably getting the most hot? Noon to about 3 o'clock, correct? Most of the women who were upstanding normal women would go ahead and they would get it early in the morning. She went at noon. The reason why she went at noon is because nobody else wanted to be with her. And we'll find out why in a little bit. She was an outcast among the local women. So Jesus connects to this woman at Jacob's well. So here's what I want to ask you a question. Your first question I'm going to ask you today is, where is your Jacob's well? Where is the place that you can intentionally connect to these people who are lost and, and struggle to find meaning and purpose in their lives? That place you intentionally spend to connect with unchurched people. It could be where you work out, which makes it harder because everybody's got headphones in, but you can do so. Um, Where you go to school. It could be sporting events that you like to attend. Believe me, I've sat in the top section of the Eagles game. There's a lot of witnessing to be able to do up there, all right? Um, It could be at dance classes. It could be the person you work with. It could be somebody who every day you open up your front door or you go to get your mail and you see them across the road or next to you. It could be a restaurant that you frequent and spend time in. It could be wherever you are being intentionally about that. I got to tell you, in my history of life, I have found some of the most willing people to talk about faith at a bar. Right? Right? Now, you get some people with a little bit in them, they'll talk about anything. I realize that. But the other thing that I'm saying is there are people who, are, who put down their inhibitions and are beginning to go ahead and talk. You can spend time at a, at a, if you've ever sat at dinner with someone. You get to know people really well when you sit down to eat with them. Like, for instance, I, when I, one of my first churches that I served, they had had a, a pastor who was there year, for a couple years, and they couldn't stand him. They liked his message, but when he sat at dinner, he always belched. Always belching. He said he just was he'd blah, real big and keep on going, not excuse himself. And I heard about this guy burping. I know nothing else about him, but I know he was one heck of a belcher. All right? That's they know a lot about him by doing those things. So where is your Jacob's well? Another question: how can we, how can I become more intentional toward unbelievers? Well, I'm gonna give you a list of a couple things. Number one, we need to pray for people by name. Remember last week, I asked you. Who in your life 
needs some planning and watering. Remember that? Shake your head. Make me feel good. I'll get the hose back out. Next time it'll be a fire hose. All right? We can arrange that, right, Pete? Okay, there we go. So who are those people in your life? Who's that person? I told you to write down that name that needs watering and planning in their lives. Pray for them by name. Because when you pray for people by name, you begin to intentionally think about them more. You begin to be more engaged with them. So number two, that's number one. Number two, find ways to spend time with them. We live in a time where we are so, so busy. And I believe one of Satan's greatest tools is we are so busy. We have less time and less and less time to spend with those that we love. And, and yet we have less time to intentionally spend with those that we don't know for the purpose of bringing them to Christ. It's really interesting. In the Netherlands, Norway and Sweden, statistically, they're countries that have moved further and further away from God over the years. And they, the churches and the people there have found the best way that they can relate and get the message of Christ across is through hospitality. They have meals together. They offer people to sit down. They do life together in working in events. And when you sit down to eat, you kind of relax a little bit. Unless, like, if, unless you're like me when you sit down and they put, like, there's a lot more forks and spoons than you know what to do with. You know what I mean? You're like, and I always taught rule of thumb, work your way from the outside in. Correct? And, and so you're looking at those kind of things. You're a little bit nervous depending on who you're with. But after you spend time eating with people for a while, you get comfortable with them. You begin to know things about them. And when you relax more and know more about people, it allows you to be yourself and them to be themselves in a relaxed, casual atmosphere. And then down the road, you can say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Hey, we're having this. Why don't you come and connect? Hey, why don't you bring your kids to vacation Bible school? They love it. They'd have a blast. Even in ancient Christianity, they found a letter from the second century regarding what makes Christians different. And this, these two obscure people are speaking, and they say about the Christians and their, their practices, they marry as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring, which was part of the practice of some of the, the groups that were around there. They would have children, and they would sacrifice them. And they don't, they don't destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. And they what they're saying there is they practice radical, radical hospitality. They, they ate with people who were unchurched, and they had no problem with it. None whatsoever at all. They engaged in the world they were in, but they were different. And when we hang out with unchurched people, we must recognize that the church has an image barrier today. As I said a few weeks ago, the church is no longer the home team. We're visitors. The majority of people in the United States, when asked or surveyed, say that the church adds little to no value to society. In other words, they could care less whether we exist or not. And many also say they don't go to church because it's boring, irrelevant, and it's for weak-minded individuals who need a crutch to lean on. Matter of fact, I found the slide of a church called Boring United Methodist Church. I would change my name. I think so. All right? Come into Boring United. Life's not boring enough. Come to Boring United Methodist Church. All right? And so we have these. In Barna Research, it tells us 60% of Americans... And I found this fascinating, and I found it sad. 60% of Americans believe that if you share your Christian faith, that you are extreme. 
In other words, just telling what Jesus means to you is now viewed as extremist. Something that was expected and part of the core of the Christian faith is now deemed as extreme by the majority of the United States. So we must recognize that we have an image barrier. We also must recognize that we have a cultural barrier in the world today. Unchurched people often feel like outsiders when they visit. Can they relate to our imagery? Can they relate to our message? Can they relate to our music? Can they relate to the way we talk? In growing up in church, I grew up in church forever. I think the first week I was born, I was there. Is Luke here? There he is. There he goes. He's got me. Um, And the one person, Niven Logan, told me he was born and he lived 80-some years and he was in church the first couple days after he was born. And so I understand churchy-ese or Christianese, that language. But often when I've gone to other churches, I was blessed with a father who had this evangelical, there's one of those terms, sorry, I'm using it, one of these kind of just really kind of different pastors. And I remember going to another church and I was like, what is this? This is awful. And anybody had that experience? Anybody been part of a church where you feel like you're in boring whatever church and you're waiting for it to be over? You're saying, that sermon was only 15 minutes? It seems like five hours. Don't you dare say this, church, or God will strike you dead. All right? But we've been there, and we're like, ah. And people are saying, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you're like, no, it's not. I need it now. Help me, please, right? We must recognize that we also have this language barrier that exists. We have several Christianese terms. Propitiation. Ooh, that sounds almost bad, doesn't it? Um, Evangelical. Sanctuary. Saved. Born again. Grace. We say things to little kids like, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Right? Are you washed in the blood? What? You know, is this Carrie, right? Sanctification. We tell people in the organization to go to the narthex. I have no clue what that is, and I'm a pastor. I'm looking for tissues, you know. I don't know what that is. We have so many churchy, churchy terms. I want to show you a video about some of these Christianese terms. Presenting Real Christians of Genius. Real Christians of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Christianese speaking person. Mr. Christianese speaking person. When conventional wisdom said no one can understand what you're communicating, you dared to prove them wrong. Dared to prove them wrong. You knew your neighbor didn't know words like trinity, salvation, and eschatology, but you overused them anyway. You can't stop me now. When people told you what they believed, you had the guts to laugh in their face and wish them luck in everlasting retribution. You gotta be kidding. So stand proud, chosen one. Yea, though your words confuse the masses, thou knoweth what thy meaneth. Thou knoweth what thy meaneth. All right, that sounds great, doesn't it? Sad thing is, it's very true in many cases. We, we tell people, we sing, sang a hymn that was years ago called Just As I Am, and we tell people Christ wants you just as you are, but he's going to clean you up. And then we tell people you got to read this kind of Bible, and you got to do that kind of thing, and you got to say this kind of thing, and you got to wear that. We give them this whole Christianese and say, what happened to Christ loving me and who I am? 
You see, there was a young boy, nine-year-old Joey, was asked by Sunday school one day, and much like I asked my son Judah, I ask him every week, what did you learn in Sunday school? And he said, well, Mom, the teacher told us how God sent Moses behind the enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge, and all the people walked across safely. He used his walkie-talkies to radio headquarters and call in an airstrike to blow up the bridge. They sent bombers, blew up the bridge, and, and the Egyptians were on there, and all the Israelites were saved. His mother looked at him and said, now, Joey, is that really what your Sunday school teacher taught you? And he said, no, but if she, I told you the way she did, you wouldn't believe it either. <laughs> you see, there's a gap in our language and the way we say things. There's a different language. There's a different language. One of the things that I've noticed, this is a lot of statistics this week, because I'm kind of bridging both these sermons today. The United States is now considered the fifth largest mission field in the world. Let me say that again. The United States, who says one nation under God, who has in God we trust, is now the fifth largest mission field in the world. The longer, have you noticed the longer we are Christians, the smaller our unchurched group gets? Like for instance, we withdraw from the world by getting up in the morning and going to our prayer group or heading to work and lunchtime, we're invited to go eat lunch, but we don't go because one of the people there has a really, is kind of very worldly and doesn't say the right words and, and kind of things. So we say, and he might tell some dirty jokes, so we say, no, that's okay. And we go ahead and, and we're going to stay and we're going we're gonna to go to our, our prayer closet. That's another term we have there, prayer closet. And spend our quiet time. And then they, at the end of the day, they say, hey, you're a good, you're a good softball player. You're going to come play softball on the work team tonight. No, I've got other plans. And so then we go, we pick out our kids, we go home, we have dinner, and then we go to the church to hear a guest speaker on why this world is going to hell. And although these things are not bad, if we never take time and invest in our unbelieving friends and people that God has placed in us, we're really missing out on the reason why Christ placed us here in the first place. Jesus said, I came. Jesus himself said, I came to seek and save those who are what? Lost. And then he said, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. In other words, he's saying, as you go into the world, take Jesus with you. You cannot influence people if you don't spend time with them. Matter of fact, it's impossible if we don't get involved, involved in others' lives. Author Roberta Kuhn writes a statement where she says, let's give what so few people will, our time, our hearts, our listening ears. I have discovered that people will most often come to love us before they love our Savior. That's why we have to be real. Because guess what? If people think that you are weird, that you are unrelatable, guess what they think about your Jesus? He's weird and he's unrelatable. And I got to tell you, I've met some really weird believers in my life. I've met some believers that I don't even relate to. I've met clergy that I've sat in a room and gone, what do I have in common with these people, God? Is this a joke? Did you place me in ministry just to laugh at me? Anybody with me here? Anybody awake? And so if that's the image we're given to God, I remember when a, when a lady in seminary one time said, we were going around asking what they were there for, and she said, I'm here because my pastor told me it would be a great place to find a husband. 
I say, good Lord, help us. It's now seminary.com where we match people. I mean, you can ask my wife. It's not a good deal all the time, right? And so here's, here's what you have. You have this situation. In other words, what I'm saying is Christians have to be good news before we can share good news. I'm going to say that again for you, and you can write that down. Because Christians have to be good news before they share good news. Because I get so tired of Christians being whatever they are and then talking about the love of Christ when they have no love in their own lives. I get tired of Christians talking about Jesus being the Prince of Peace when they have no patience and peace in their own lives. Ringing a bell with anybody? Ding, ding, ding. Okay? I'll get that hose back out. Um, So we have this. So my question to you now is, do you see unbelievers or non-Christians as opportunities or interruptions? Because Jesus constantly saw them as opportunities. Why? Because Jesus did something that we are losing more and more. He added margin in his life. He added margin in his life. I shared this years ago um, in a sermon down at the middle school that in the old days when they had printing presses, they printed to the edge of the paper because it cost so much. And they found out that when they did that, people read less. How many of you have ever gotten a school book that has no pictures and all the words are like right there? And how many of you go, right? They learned that if they increased the margins, that people read more and were more connected. If we don't have margin, I can tell you this is a challenge for me in my life as a pastor, because as a pastor, I deal with believers a lot. I plan a lot for believers. One of the the only times as a pastor that I get an opportunity to share with non-believers or non-active Christians are doing two things, funerals and weddings. And I always look at them. I've known pastors that now won't even call, and I talk to the funeral directors, won't even call a funeral director back if they're not a member of their church. I look at funerals and weddings as opportunities to connect people. And if everybody I've married, I always ask them the question about where their faith is. Because I don't care what they tell me. They've got to live it out. And I give them an example. It's an opportunity. Where in your life do you have opportunity to add margin? Because we add margin. We add margin in our day to eat well. We add margin for working out. We add margin for our kids' activities and opportunities for their educational advancement. We add... Um, we had margin to sit in front of a computer and add everything that's going on in our lives or share something that's in somebody else's life that none of us care about. We um, add opportunities for our occupational and add margin for our occupational advancement, yet we have so little time for lost people. And we add margin to attend movies, plays, restaurants, sport events, whatever is valuable to us. And so what ends up happening is that person at work comes up to you while you're working on a big project that has a due date, and it's coming to a deadline, and he says to you, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? It's going crazy. My, my marriage is about ready to fall apart. And you say, I, I'm so busy right now, maybe next week. Or they come up to you and they say, you know, hey, you've had teenagers, and I've tried everything, and I can't even talk to my teenagers anymore. I don't know what's going on. If we're not careful, we will see that as an interruption in our lives rather than an opportunity for God to move and use his, his uh, Holy Spirit in that area. If we are going to be intentional to look for people like this, we have to look for people in two areas, those in crisis and those in chains. 
Those in crisis often have a loss. When you have a loss, sometimes you don't know where to turn. If you lost people that you love, you care about, maybe somebody moved away, maybe it's a brokenness in a relationship. When there's loss in life, a divorce, something else, people are ready to connect with something. If it's a change where they may have had a baby, they may have had their baby leave, they may have had something else happen. There's an adjustment, and so people are there. In other words, what we have to do is be real and engage intentionally. Number two, pray for discernment. Discernment. How do we move people from the trivial stuff to the things of God? Well, you do it, I believe, the best way by asking non-threatening questions. So many times in our church, we come up to people and we say, have you been saved and washed in the blood of Jesus? We're like, whoa, like that. We go backwards. And we're like, whoa. What about this? How about I ask this question? You want to get people talking? Ask them this question. What do you think about the presidential election? Yeah, you guys are ready, aren't you? Right? How about that Machado fight on the Orioles game the other evening, right? Manny Machado, right? It was a brawl, right? You had that? So how many people have talked about with anybody that week, this week, right? Um, how, many, how many say, um, why do you think, maybe you can even talk like this, say, uh, why do you think there are so many marriages falling apart around us? Or maybe, do you think the US, United States is really closer to God or farther from God? <laughs> I got to ask you a question. Do you really think if somebody really messes up that there's a God who forgives them? And what about this? Do all religions go to heaven? And these are questions that you can talk. And right now, by me asking you that, you're already engaging that in your mind. Am I right? And when you engage with these questions, you, turn, you learn about what people feel about their worldview and about beliefs about God and life. And then when we begin to share and they share with us, then they often want to hear what we think about certain things. Then we can share what God has done for us. That's why in 1 Peter, the verse I gave to you last week from 3.15, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with, remember these two things, gentleness and respect. And look at how Jesus moves this woman. He moves this woman, and we're going to be in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can I ask you to ask me for a drink? Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and I would have given you living water. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank, it, drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Everybody follow along right now? She's still stuck in the well water, something that she didn't have to come there and be disrespected in the heat of the day. Jesus says, look what Jesus does here. Go call your husband and come back. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yep, you're right when you say that. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. She says, huh? No, that's not there. But she says, sir, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the, you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will neither worship the Father here on this mountain nor Jerusalem. Jesus didn't ask her about worship, did he? Did Jesus say, where do you guys worship? 
He said, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not. And she says, oh, well, you worship here, and I worship there, and let's have everybody worship, worship, worship. You know what he did? He got a little too close, didn't he? He got a little too close to where things were happening. I can see that you are a prophet. She's changing the deal. What happens is when we start to talk to people and get to that point of spiritual matters, of the matters of Christ, of God, people will often avoid it because they don't like conflict and confrontation, which the church has been constantly doing because we don't have that gentleness in there and that patience. People will want to talk about religion or tradition when you start to talk about the things of God. They will say things like, the Bible was written thousands of years ago. How can it relate today? Or do you believe people go to hell? I don't go to church because it's full of what? Hypocrites. There we go. Do you believe uh, Christianity is the only way to God? That's so close-minded. That's what the woman at the well did. Jesus was getting too close to her heart, and she switched the topic to religion. People today don't want to be religious, but they will tell you, I'm not religious, but I'm what? Spiritual. There you go. Spiritual. I did some search on spiritual, and one of those is pneumatic, and that means containing um, a lots of gas or under pressure. Um, spiritual and not religious. What they're saying is I'm interested in finding out about the things about life and understanding the higher truth about the universe and about God, but I'm not going to accept this historical approach because it's always been done that way. Most likely due to some of those barriers we talked about. It takes time to build relationship, and eventually you can say to people, what do you mean when you say, I'm spiritual? To get people from these trivial things to God, we need to get back to the Bible. And next week, I'm going to talk about the difference between religion, spirituality, and Christianity. And every time I talk to somebody, I need discernment. I can't come at somebody with this planned, canned approach because it's not real. So that's the second thing. The third thing, live con- consistently. Live consistently. One of the reasons I believe that we think talking about our faith is awkward is because we are so inconsistent in our own faith and what we say and do. And we're, being, we're afraid of being called out by those who have seen us. I believe that the problem today is not outside the church, but inside, that we are not salt and light making the world differently. But if you put us in a lineup based off of how we live our lives, we're no different than the world itself. So how do we impact a culture that is further and further from God. I'm going to take you to a, a, an Old Testament book called Daniel, the guy with the lion's den. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Now, Daniel was a teenager that was placed in captivity, a young Jewish boy in a pagan city called Babylon. And you may say, Jack, what does that have to do with in the United States that we are a, one, that we are a Christian nation? And I've got to tell you, I'm going to burst your bubble today. No, we are not. We are not a Christian nation anymore. When 70% of the people in this community could give a hoot about it, we are not a Christian county. When most of the people in the United States, and statistics right now are showing that less than 20% of the people in the entire population in the United States attend a church or are connected to it. We are not a Christian nation anymore. That's why we're fifth in the mission field. Regular church attendance is now three out of eight Sundays. So here we go. Here is what happens. It pleased Darius, the king, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of who was Daniel. 
The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he was like number three. Now he's moving up to the top of the top. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Listen to this. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. Daniel sent himself apart by being who he said he was. He did not compromise. He lived out his morals and values in his life, even in his work. And when you engage with people in these questions, they want to ask you what God has done for you, but they also want to see you living it out. One of the things you will hear, regardless of what party or whoever's running for election, there's been a change in freedom of religion. It now talks about freedom of worship. Have you noticed that? Anybody notice that? Because freedom of religion and freedom of worship is different. Freedom of religion means that it is part of your entire being. Freedom of worship means for one hour on Sunday or whatever, you get to do what you want to. But don't influence me the rest of the week. Freedom of religion is your whole entire area. We need the body of Christ to be consistent and to be real. For revival, we need people to lean on character instead of complacency and seek truth over tolerance and to be fully engaged in the world but not be exactly like it. The last thing here. Here we go. We need to trust God. Everybody say trust God. In John chapter 4, verse 28 to 29 and verse 39, it says, this woman says, then leaving her water jar, she went to the well for what? And what'd she do with it? She left it there. The woman went back into town. How's she viewed by the town? Not very good. She goes back into town and she says, come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Did he tell her everything he ever did? she ever did? No, he just told her some stuff that she didn't think everybody knew. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah? And look at what it said in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town did what? Believed in him because of what? The woman's testimony and what he told them. Last week I talked about that we, our job is to plant and water and God makes it grow. There was something different in her and they saw something different. An encounter with Christ should change us. The greatest evidence of the power of God is simply this, a changed life. Because of Christ in your life, what changes do others see? In our world, country, county, and towns, so many like this woman live lives searching to fill the void with money and things and all kinds of wells of this world. And our job is to go and search them out. And to be there for them. So I'm, if you noticed, I've been giving you homework lately, right? And your takeaway today is simply something that you're going to love. And people who are my, in the disciple class are going to enjoy this. I want you to write your story. I want you to write your story. And you're like, uh-oh, what does that mean? I want you to write your story of the relationship you had with Christ. Every believer has a story to tell. And if you're like me, for years, my story, which I'll share with you some next week, but my story... I always wished I had like the rags to riches story. Like I wish I was laying in a gutter somewhere so it would be really powerful. But I got to tell you, my story is a faith journey that's not always been pretty, but God has been there and changed it. The easy, it's easy to share your story when you're comfortable with it. So that's why I want you to write it down. And look at the person next to you say, you better write it down. Better write it down. 
all right? Do this and be ready for next week, because here's what I want to tell you. There are four things that I'm going to give you that are going to help you. I didn't leave blanks here, but you can write these down. Four things when you're writing your story. Number one, don't glorify your past. Sinning at times was fun, right? It was, but it left marks. Your present is more important than your past, and your life before Christ and your life about Jesus now. What's that? Share, number two, so the first thing, don't glorify your past. Number two, share the difference Jesus is making now in your life. Number three, use one meaningful scripture verse to you. What's one meaningful scripture verse that you have? Make it about, because what this does, it makes it about God, not about you. And the last thing, you're going to love this, because I never do this when I teach class, keep it to one page. Okay, keep it to one page, um, because if you give me a dissertation of your story, and then I had red hair when I was in the fifth grade, and people made fun of me, and then I went, if you give me all that stuff, that doesn't matter, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to get tired, the person's going to get tired of hearing about it. Keep them wanting more. Give them the highlights of your life and what Christ did in your life, and they will want to know more and more about you. All right? So you got your homework? Now, I know this, this ain't as exciting as last week with the hose, but I tell you, I'm connecting that week to this week, and next week we're going to also talk about some more planning. So you guys be ready. So uh, as the praise team comes up, the challenge next week is that we are going to go through a journey of how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those names that we wrote down last week and the ones I reminded you of this week. For those ones who need planning and watering, and we're going to trust God to make it, make it grow. Next week, we're going to talk about being ready, being ready, and, um, and sharing our faith there. So you don't want to miss next week again. Please stand where you are. And you saw our Stephen ministers at the beginning of the service, and I'm going to ask them to just come on up now. And then we're just, I'm just going to pray, and they're going to be available to pray with you. Um, as I am, if you need that as well. So, Lord God, we just want to come to you now. And, um, and God, I, I just want to, I want to ask forgiveness for myself when I haven't been real with people. When I put on my, my churchiness and when I put on my Christianese to sound really, really good. Um, but, God, you're so much more than what your church has done. Um, our church has harmed you and your, and your, your witness and your testimony by making it about us. And so, God, I, I pray that for everybody here this week, and I really, really challenge you and pray that you'll do this. You may be in the midst of that story right now, and just write down where you are, that first part. But, God, everybody who writes down their stories this week, as they are working through their story, it is a story of victory because you're involved in it. You, help, you came to say, seek and save those who are lost, and now it's our job to plant and water and to take Jesus with us as we go through life. I pray for all those unbelievers and those people that we are going to meet during this week, that we can take these applications, apply to our lives, apply to our practice, and be available to do something that even though 60% of this country believes is extremist, that we can recapture our roots of Christianity, which is that we are to share our faith in the goodness of God. We are here today because someone took time to be extremist with us and share the great things that you've done with them. So God, I just believe some people here today are watching online or are struggling at some point in their life, not quite sure what tomorrow holds, not quite sure what even the rest of this day holds. But God, I just want them to know that they have a Savior. They have a, a, a God's Son who came into this world, into the flesh, and 
to physical and suffered and died, but he rose again. And he said, hey, I got this offer for you. You're not good enough to make it. Nobody is. Nobody's good enough, but I love you more than enough. And I am all that you need. And so God, during this time right now, for those of us who may have just kind of lost our way, we've lost some of that joy. We've been in boring whatever church in our own existence for far too long. I pray that you will just spring up that well that you promised that woman at the well. For those of us, God, who have never, who are like that woman who just never, ever know anything and we're living lives of scandal and lives of shame, that we realize that you are here for us and that means that we as fellow Christians are here for each other. And the main thing is just to connect to you, God, so that we can be the people that you call us to be. So God, I ask you to empty out every single one of us here, much like that picture that that woman took from that well. And she left it behind. And we'll leave behind that, that, those wells of life that don't satisfy and that will be filled with your Holy Spirit. That spirit that just springs up that we can have that life and have it abundantly. That we can share our story. In Jesus' mighty name.
You're my strength, you're my defender. You're my refuge in the storm. Through these trials, you've always been faithful. You bring healing to my soul. For I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. Let's sing that. I am not alone. I was just sitting here thinking when I heard that, um, that, that much of the uh, woman at the well, that was kind of probably what she felt, like she was alone. And um, I just believe that somebody here watching it just feels alone in life. And I was reflecting, and then it came to my mind. Remember I said Jesus didn't, Jesus, it said Jesus had to go through Samaria, and I said no, he didn't because he was a Jew, and they avoided that. He had to go to Samaria for her. So where you're in your Samaria where nobody wants to be around you and where you feel like God, you're so far removed from God and he would never be connected because that's what your, your Christianese churchiness told you that I'm too bad for God. He has to go to you because he loves you. Because he loves you and all those who are connected to you. If he didn't go at 12 noon when he knew that woman was going to be there, none of the other town would have never known about Christ. She is the least likely person that they would ever thought of. Jesus wants to go to your Samaria where you are, and he wants to change your life in an awesome way. Next week, we're going to bridge all this together. And so if you have somebody you, you wrote down on the list, get them to come with you. Um, bring it here. I'm going to share the gospel in a way, and, I'm, and maybe it'll be a, a little bit awkward, right? That'll be cool, and I'm going to share a little bit of my story. So come next week and bring somebody with you, and we are going to talk about be, we're going to be ready. Be ready. Everybody say be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready and get out of here. All right, have a great week. Say hi to somebody.